Uh, well, what a great children's talk. Thank you, Nathaniel. That was excellent. Uh, what a great summary of what we're about to look at from God's Word. What a blessing to have so many different um, uh, gifted people at church and to be able to be encouraged by each other. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, and we're going to be covering um, quite a big chunk of God's Word. Um, and can I just say, this is a, as all of God's Word is, um, a precious part of God's Word with lots of profound spiritual truths when it comes to giving. In fact, if I sort of had my time again, I would break this up into at least two sermons, maybe three, possibly even four. But there's a beauty of looking at this in one big chunk, and that is, God willing, you'll see connections that God inspires Paul to make one thing to another to another. Because you see, there's a real danger when we come to a topic like giving, that we just think moralistically. That if we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that if we just give more sacrificially, that if we somehow curry up the energy and the favour, then we'll be doing something more pleasing to God. But that is the opposite, friends, to biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity rests upon the foundation of the gospel about everything that God has done for us in Christ. And so especially our giving, and I hope you see this today, our giving is motivated by the great gift that is already given to us in Christ which was so beautifully summed up by Nathaniel. And I hope we should sing that really the next three weeks, you know, um, every day, every week in church, because it's such a beautiful summary. Um, so I'm going to read this morning from chapter 8 through to chapter 9. It's a bit longer than usual as well. Um, but I do that very deliberately and unapologetically because this is God's word. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending them, or we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous. And now, even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. For as, uh, as for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, 
And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing word it is that we've heard this morning. How thorough, how comprehensive, Lord, how pertinent. Lord, we thank you first and foremostly for Jesus that though he was rich, he became poor, that we might become rich. Lord, you have lavished upon us every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are the generous God, the God that showers rain upon the righteous and the wicked, that distributes gifts to people that are ungrateful. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you today for your generosity to us in Christ, for saving us while we were still dead, while we were still blind, while we were still your enemy, and Lord, for persevering with us as we stumble. Lord, we want to thank you too for your temporal provisions for us, for the many blessings of work, of income, of buying and selling of houses, of clothing, of cars, of holidays. Lord, you richly give all of these things for our enjoyment, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for safety as we travel. We thank you for friendships. And Father, we want to pray now that as we sit quietly at your feet, your Holy Spirit would give us insight and discernment into your word that we might understand your will correctly and we might obey it to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. One of the things that I learned from the very first congregation I served in as a teaching elder was how to give. The saints in this particular congregation, in this really little outback town called We War were excellent in this regard. Just like the Macedonians that Paul talks about, 
they were a model to Angie and I as to what Christian giving should really look like. Now, there's a stack of stories that I could tell you in this regard. You see, the congregation was made up of mostly American cotton growers. And they were the very first people in Australia to start the cotton industry. Uh, But at the end of their very first season, there was this enormous flood which wiped everything out. In fact, if you go into the main street um, of Weewall, there's a water tower and they've still got the high water mark where this uh, flood came through the town. The impact was so financially devastating that they basically lost everything. They lost a lot. And so they decided that very first year in the late 60s that they would pack up, they'd cut their losses, and they'd go home. The manager of one of the major banks in Australia came to see them, and he tried to convince them to stay. And much to their surprise and shock, they offered, or he offered, to refinance their entire program. They told me themselves, and these men are now really old, some of them have gone to be with the Lord, that they told me they thought he was crazy. But he said, look, you just submit a business plan and then we'll sit down and we'll talk about it, which is what they did. A couple of weeks later, they sat down with this manager of one of the major banks in Australia and they discussed what it was going to take to start all over again. And they, they, they showed him their business plan. One of the sticking points, though, was that they planned to give a sizable percentage of their budget to church. In fact, they based their giving on this principle. 10% of their giving went to the church. 15% of their budget went to missions. The bank manager objected and he said, I'm sorry, you've misunderstood this. We are not a charity. And the farmers said that, no, no, you've misunderstood us. We're Christians. And we believe that our endeavour, if our endeavour were to succeed, we would require the Lord's blessing. And so they made him an offer. They said that if the bank manager rejected their business plan, they would simply cut their losses and they'd go back to the States. But they said if he backed their business plan and accepted it, they would never bank with anyone else again. Thankfully, the manager agreed. And it was only in the space of a few years that they'd completely paid back the loan. Not only that, but over the next 40 years plus, they became some of the richest people in Australia. They continued to give generously to the work of the Lord, both here and overseas. Every church I've served in has contained believers with similar convictions. And they themselves would tell you how faithful the Lord has been to them throughout. In fact, I've got to tell you this story of one of them. The very first person that harvested the crop of cotton in Australia became, as I said, one of the most wealthiest men 
in all of Australia. When I got to Weewar in 2000, he spent six months of his year salmon fishing in Canada, right? and the other six months of the year living in Weewar. His next door neighbour had one of the most prestigious land grants from after the war um, in the district, but he didn't grow cotton, he had sheep and cattle. He was an old, what they call, cocky. And this man was single, didn't marry, didn't have any kids. And when it came time for him to finally retire, he said to the stock and station agent, I don't want to sell to anybody else except Harold, my next door neighbour. And he said, look, there's a lot of interest in your property. It's one of the premier properties. It's a high ground for the entire district. There'll be a lot of interest. He goes, I don't care. I'm only going to sell to Harold. Harold and his wife, Clara, were always kind to me and they always spoke to me when no one else did. He was a bit odd. So he really appreciated that. Stock and station agent went to Harold and he said, Harold, your next door wants to sell. And Harold said, look, honestly, I have more than enough. I have probably too much. I'm not interested. Please tell him I respectfully decline. Stock and station agent went to the man. He said, sorry, he's not interested. The man said, no, I insist. I'm only selling to Harold. Went back to Harold. Harold said, I really don't want the property. I've got more than enough. It would be greed of me to accept it. Went back, said to the man, he goes, no, 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 I insist. I'm not selling to anybody else. I'm only selling to Harold. Goes back to Harold. Harold then says to him, look, I really don't want um, this property. It should go to somebody else. I've got so much land. It would be wrong of me to take any more. I tell you what I'll do. This is such an American thing. Pardon me if you're American and you're offended by this. He said, I'm going to write you a really ridiculous low number so that he's offended. And when he gets it, he'll finally get the message, I don't want it. And then we can move on and he can sell it to somebody else for a reasonable price. Stock station agent took the ridiculous figure, took it to the man, and the man said, okay. So Howard got the land. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that it was the next year, I think, that Weewar had another one of its major floods. And the only land that was not inundated with water was that land. I've come to the conclusion that you cannot outgive God. He will always be infinitely more generous to us than we will ever be to him. The passage before us this morning is an incredible encouragement in this regard. And I only wish I had more time to go through it in more detail because there are just so many things to learn from and be encouraged by. Now, at the risk of being simplistic, I think there are three major truths that Paul addresses. And the first is this. Our giving is to be generous. It's significant, isn't it? that the Apostle Paul never specifies a certain percentage or amount. I know that's the question we want to ask ourselves, and you're probably on the edge of your seat going, I wonder what he's going to say. Is he going to make me sort of feel guilty about giving a certain amount? Can I just say diplomatically, that's the question of the Pharisee. Because the goal is generosity. Or, as my brothers and sisters in WeWar used to say, the question is not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will you give back to him? Because, you see, it all belongs to God. 
It's a desire, our giving, produced in response to the truth of the gospel, to want to give generously to the work of the Lord. That's why, did you notice this? Paul talks about this grace of giving. Because to give is not natural. It's supernatural. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a desire produced in response to the truth of the gospel. My old minister, Rob Smith, used to say, to our shock and horror, don't think that you have to give 10% of your income away here at church. There are plenty of people here at church that give more. Just like, the, take the example of the Macedonians. They were an incredible example in this regard. Paul uses them as a model to spur the Christians in Corinth to give their own giving. And notice that Paul does this very deliberately. He compares them. He says, I want you to see the comparison of their earnestness and I want you to be challenged and inspired by this. Because even though the Macedonians were economically poor, they pleaded to be able to give. Actually, it's even stronger than that in Greek. It's that these beggars begged to be able to give to the work of the Lord. Significantly, Paul refers to what they did a few times as the grace of giving. Because their generosity was a supernatural act of God, which was produced in response to knowing how much the Lord has given us in Christ. We often think, don't we, like Ian mentioned at the start of the service today about the widow's might. And we think to ourselves, oh, I can give a little bit. But in context, what she was doing was giving everything. She was giving 90%, not 10 She was giving out of her poverty because she was honouring the Lord with what she had. Because their generosity was a supernatural act of God and produced in response to knowing how much the Lord had done for them first and foremostly in Christ. You see how radical this is. Have a look at verse 9 again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, that's the foundation for all Christian giving. It's based on the understanding of what the Lord has first given to us. For in Jesus, we have received everything, forgiveness, God's spirit, eternal life. Giving generously is one of, I think, the evidences that you have become a Christian. For it shows that we no longer hold tightly to the things of this world. In fact, we saw this just a couple of weeks ago. We're living for an unseen world. And instead, we seek to financially invest in the world to come. As we saw back in chapter 4, it's about fixing our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen, that's eternal. It's that we're investing in the world to come. Now, Paul gives a profound illustration here based on Exodus chapter 16, which we read from earlier, regarding the manner in the wilderness. Remember, there were some who gathered much and there were some who gathered little. 
But everyone was to receive exactly the same portion of an omer. And I know that's the little thing at the end that you giggle about. But again, it's about accuracy. It's about measurement. It's about justice. It's about fairness. And the principle is this. In the body of Christ, there will be some who are rich and there will be some who are poor. And we who are rich have an obligation to share with those who are poor. As Paul says in verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality because we are the family of God. And isn't it a joy to be able to do that for one another? You see, there's a great danger in having too much as a Christian. Uh, Indeed, having excess can be spiritually toxic. One of my good friends in Sydney who's a minister used to often say that he thinks the quickest way to kill a Christian is to give them lots of money because it can just take over your heart. John Calvin says those who have riches, whether inherited or won by their own industry and labour, are to remember that what is left over is meant not for intemperance or luxury, but for relieving the needs of the brethren. C.S. Lewis goes even further and says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. In other words, we should always be striving to give more and to be seeking ways that we can responsibly give our wealth away. Because this is what the gospel frees us up and empowers us to do. Now, just before we leave this point, it's important to clarify that I don't think Paul is teaching some form of Christian communism. That is, that in the church, everyone has to have exactly the same standard of living. In the context of 2 Corinthians, I think Paul is taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And so the equality that Paul is talking about is, I think, a gospel unity that exists between Jews and Gentiles. One commentator I was reading explains it. He says, within the eschatological people of God, that is the New Testament era, Each gives what he has been given. The Gentiles can support the Jews financially, while the Jews can support the Gentiles with leadership and ministry in the gospel. And so the equality that Paul is talking about here is, again, one that is produced by the gospel. It's a sharing of everything that we have been given in Christ, which includes more than just our money, although it's not less than that. One of the ways I've personally tried to apply this spiritual principle is being involved in cross-cultural missions. I've travelled a number of times to Thailand, to my own congregation's expense back in Sydney, to bless the believers there, not necessarily with money, but with teaching, free of charge. Because the church there is poor materially, we didn't charge them any money. 
But there was a generosity also involved in teaching. In fact, I don't think I've worked as hard in all my life as when I teach on the mission field. There's a generosity also involved in service, in teaching, of building them up spiritually with resources which they currently do not have. Does that make sense? The second point follows on from this, and it's that we are to give with integrity. Too many ministries have been destroyed by financial indiscretion. And that's why what Paul goes on to say next is so important. Everything he does through Titus is transparent and above board. And can I just put a pitch in here for Bomb? It's why coming to congregational meetings is also important. Just as importantly, Paul encourages the believers to follow through on their own commitments. Because it's one thing to promise to give. It's another thing to actually do it. Paul says in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 9 that he really wants to make sure that the Corinthians do what they said they were going to do. Paul says in verse 3, But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. As we saw last week, Paul actually boasted in the faith and the godliness of other believers. And he had specifically done this in relation to the Corinthians and their eagerness to give to the collection that he was taking up. He boasted about their generosity. He had boasted about their eagerness to give. This is so important that Paul doesn't want them or him to be ashamed. We don't often think like this, do we? But we should. It's good that we challenge one another in this regard. When my dad passed away, my mum had passed away quite a few years, or just a few years before that. But when my dad passed away, Angie and I inherited his house in Western Sydney. It was an incredible provision for us because we'd never be able to afford a house ourselves. One of the elders in Wee War was helping me clean up the property. He'd driven down with me from Wee War and we, were dri- we cleaned up the property and we were driving back. And uh, I'll never forget, as we were driving along the freeway, he said to me, so Mark, are you going to honour the Lord with the first fruits? I was looking out the window, could still see the bush flying by and I thought... I am now. (laughs) And I said to him, yeah, well, I was thinking about it. I'm so glad he had the courage to ask me that question because it helped me to follow through on what I knew I should do. The challenge is not just to honour the Lord with big things, but on a week-to-week basis. Gary Miller has a really helpful thing to say in this regard. He says, if you commit, then do it. That's a mark of Christian character, or perhaps a virtue, where virtue is shorthand for settled, godly 
consistent habits. He then goes on to say, I hope you can see that following through on our commitments is actually an index of Christ-like selflessness. I was really challenged about this personally in my early years of following Christ when I came to understand the gospel. I started to notice that my relationship with God was not as vibrant as it had once been. And the Lord really convicted me that I wasn't actually consistent with my giving. In fact, I remember reading the passage, which some of you will know very well, others of you should know very well, Malachi chapter 3, about robbing God through tithes and offerings. And in particular, the Lord's own challenge to test him in this regard and to prove that he is faithful. By the way, you're not supposed to test God, remember. But God puts out this challenge to his people to going, saying, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven so that there will not be room enough in your barns to, fulfill you, um, to store all the blessing I will shower upon you. So I thought, well, I'm living at home. I'm earning $500 a week. I'll start by giving 10%, which seemed radical at the time, but I knew pretty easily I could live off the rest. Can I just say it was truly freeing to contribute to my local church in that way. And to my great delight, I saw how God provided for my needs and all of my wants, so many of my wants, in ways that I could never have imagined. Indeed, he, it was like he literally had thrown open the floodgates of heaven. You see, I love to read. And at this particular point in my life, I was trying to like build my own little Christian library. And not long after, I started giving generously because I, I thought, that's $50 a week. I could buy a book a week, at least this way. But you know, I still had $450 to spend. Not long after this, I, a local Christian bookshop called and they asked if I wanted to have every, a copy of every book that they had in stock because it had been damaged slightly in, on their covers. I literally didn't have room enough on my bookshelves to, to have them all. They, they stood in stacks by my chair. It was a clear and powerful demonstration as to how the Lord can and does provide. Have you seen him do similar things in your life? So where to give generously? Where to give with integrity? And the final thing is that where to give with joy. Paul has so many important things to say in this regard. But at the heart of it all is that God loves a cheerful giver. You shouldn't feel compulsion. You definitely shouldn't be reluctant because God loves a cheerful giver. You should delight in whatever you decide to give. Pray about it first, but then delight in doing it. What is it that enables us to respond with such faithfulness? Well, first and foremostly, I have to say this again because it's so important, because of how, that's how the Lord has first related to us. Paul says at the end of the chapter, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's what enables and empowers us to be generous, isn't it? 
It's that the Lord has first and foremostly been incredibly, infinitely generous to us through the gospel. He has given us the free gift of eternal life. Or if I could ask you this, how much do you think salvation is worth? Let's put a dollar figure on it. You can't do that. That's irreverent and even obscene to even suggest. But we've been given it. Trusting in his son, we are forgiven and justified in his sight. But there's a few other theological truths which we need to take off here as well, and that is the Lord continues to be gracious to us and generous to us here and now. Take a look in particular at what Paul says in verses 10 to 11, because these are really quite key. For the Lord himself is in control of how much we have, and as such, in his sovereign providence, he is able to supply all of our needs. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase the store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now it's easy to twist these verses into saying that the more you give, the more you get. That's a mistake that the prosperity preachers make. And it's why also I wanted to cover this in one sermon, one longer sermon, rather than three or four. They treat God like a cosmic slot machine and think that they, if they give generously to church, then he's automatically going to make them rich. But while the Lord can be trusted, and just like with Christian cotton growers in Wewar, and he blessed them in their farming... That doesn't mean that the Lord intends to make each and every one of us more and more wealthy. Take a careful look at verses 10 and 11. You'll see that what God is promising to do for us is far richer, pun intended. Because you see, he promises to enlarge the harvest of our righteousness. That through our giving and generosity, we will grow more into the image and likeness of Christ. If I can stop and just say one thing in a somber way to us this morning, it's impossible to be a mature follower of Christ and at the same time to be stingy. to hoard your wealth and to not invest in the lives of others is completely inconsistent. Notice that Paul specifically says in verse 11 that we will be made rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. Generosity is not just about finances. It can also be about our time or our assistance. Verses 27, 28 of Proverbs 3, we read, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbour, Come back, I'll give it to you tomorrow, when you now have it with you. You ever had that? A neighbour comes to you, you want to borrow something, um, or you know, needs to generously have something, and you think, Ah, oh, I can do it, but I don't really want to do it right now. Maybe if you come back, maybe you'll forget about it. That's not generosity. 
I'll never forget someone coming to me one day and asking for something they really needed. I didn't get along very well with this particular person, and so I was tempted to make him wait. But I just read that passage recently, and I was really convicted about what it said. And I must say that God really changed my heart, and it was a joy to be able to help him out. And I think it really actually helped to heal some of the distrust in our relationship at the time. That's the kind of change the Lord does in us as we take up opportunities to be more generous. It makes us more like Christ. And if you're feeling like your relationship with God is maybe stale at the moment, maybe it's a good time to ask yourself or to reflect on your own giving. As we saw last week, the way the Lord often chooses to comfort people is through us. He uses human means to achieve his purposes. So I want to conclude then this morning with this question for you. And, is, and that is, where is your treasure? Is it in the things of this earth or is it in the world to come? Is it in the things that you can see or is it in the things that you can't see? There's an old song, maybe some of you will know it. It's by a guy called Ray Boltz and it's called Thank You. And in it he talks about a dream he has where he dies and he goes to heaven. And in heaven, he sees all of these different people. They come up to him and, and um, the person he is singing to, um, and they say thank you for all of the small and seemingly insignificant things that they did while he was here on earth. So, for instance, in the first verse, he says, We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. And he said, Friend, you may not know me. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart. And then in the chorus, which is a bit of a tearjerker, he says, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for, the giving, for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. It's beautiful. A little later on, he says this, Then another man stood before me and said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry? You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. It's a great reminder as to how to set our eyes on the things which are unseen. To store up our treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal and where rust and moths cannot destroy. You'll have noticed that we don't take up an offering here at Cornerstone. We leave it to each person's conscience. Some churches talk about giving all the time, and that's a problem. But, you know, I think we can make the other mistake of never mentioning it at all. So let me encourage you then today to prayerfully consider your own giving here at church. Are you giving generously? Are you giving consistently? Are you giving what you plan to give? Are you storing up your treasures in heaven or here on earth? 
There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's a problem, though, when our hearts are captivated by them. Let me encourage you then to honour the Lord with the first fruits. To not steal from the Lord, but to joyfully participate in the work of the gospel because God is faithful. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So let's keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. Let's be joyful givers who are eager to share to the praise and the glory of his holy name. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a passage before us this morning. So many truths. So many spiritual riches. Father, apply those things to our hearts that you would have us believe and obey. Lord, thank you for being so incredibly rich to us that you became poor so that we might become rich. And we are rich in Christ. We have everything we'll ever need. And you promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, free us from the love of money and help us to be content. Lord, more than that, pour out upon us the grace of giving that we would be eager to share, eager to bless. Lord, give us wise hearts that we would do this in a responsible way. But that, Lord, we would also do it sacrificially. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us through your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.